Good evening. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> oh, so what a wonderful evening to celebrate a baptism. Um, and what we've seen here this evening has been an act of love, an act of worship. And we're going to think a little bit more about what it means, an act of worship, this evening by continuing our series in Luke 7. Jesus says, looking at what Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke and what we can learn about Jesus through his encounters here. So we're in Luke 7. If you've got a Bible, can you turn turn with me there? Um, if not, the verses should come up on the the screen behind me. Um, and we're going to read from verse 36 onwards. So one, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which is a kind of money, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we're going to look at the three people in this story, the Pharisee, the woman, and Jesus, thinking about who they are, what they did, and what, what they revealed to us about worship. But first, we're going to pray. Father God, I thank you for the beautiful outpouring of love we've seen this evening. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us through each other, and I thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. I just pray you would open your word to us now. Teach us, Lord. Show us your love. Amen. So we're going to start with the Pharisee. Who was he? So the host of the dinner in our story is Simon, who is a member of the religious elite. 
he would have been regarded as the model of worship in Jewish society, fulfilling all the actions and activities expected of a truly religious man. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to give huge chunks of money to the temple. You had to memorize long, long sections of Jewish scripture. You had to exercise meticulous self-discipline. Simon, on the surface, looked like a deeply religious, worshipful man. A man who spent his life in the service of God. But this incident around his dinner table reveals something a little different. He invited Jesus into his home in this story, but he failed to show him basic human respect, let alone the divine adoration due to the promised saviour. Really, Simon dishonoured God in this interaction. In Jesus' comments to Simon in verses 44 to 46, we see exactly what it is that Simon hasn't done. Jesus is effectively saying, you did not even order a basin of water to be brought to me so that I could wash my tired and dusty feet in before I ate at your table. You didn't kiss my cheek in the usual manner of greeting to a friend. You didn't give me a little oil to anoint my head as is the usual custom. These actions are one simply of common courtesy and friendship in Middle Eastern society at the time, let alone ones of worship. Simon was a member of a group who should have been falling at Jesus' feet, hyper-religious people who had been waiting the promised saviour that God had declared in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. But Simon missed it. He dishonoured Jesus by failing even to perform simple acts of welcome. Simon also dishonoured God in thought. We see in verse 39 that he doubts that Jesus could even be a prophet, let alone the Messiah. If this man were a prophet, he thinks snidely to himself. He would have known what kind of dirty person it was that was touching his feet. Simon himself would have stayed away from such notorious sinners for fear of his own social status being tarnished. The key stumbling block between Jesus and the Pharisees here was the Pharisees' belief in their own righteousness, in their own right standing before God. We see it time and time again in their interactions with Jesus. They closed their eyes and ears to what Jesus had to say about their sin. And I understand where they're coming from because being confronted with your failures is never a comfortable experience particularly if your career and livelihood depends on having a spotless reputation and perfect social standing. But because Simon couldn't face up to his own sin, he couldn't see what was on offer in Jesus. His pride blinded him to his own neediness for God. He held Jesus at arm's length. But let's contrast Simon's behaviour with the actions of this woman. We don't know a lot about her background. We don't even know what her name was. But we know that she was a woman with a very bad reputation. People knew who she was when she walked into a room and not for good reasons. We also don't know how she knew about Jesus, whether she'd been part of a crowd that had seen him teach or whether she'd heard rumors about him healing people and forgiving sin. What we do know is that she searched him out. 
When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, says verse 37, she came looking for him. But she didn't simply come looking for Jesus, curious, perhaps intrigued, or keen to disparage him like Simon was. She came desperate to interact with him. The actions that we see here in this passage were incredibly costly. This woman made herself vulnerable through her tears in a public space, through the sacrifice of her money on costly ointment, through entering a hostile environment. Where Jesus held Simon at arm's length, this woman came close. She didn't let the fear of social judgment get in the way of coming near to God's love for her. Her determination and her conviction to be close to Jesus are remarkable. And her actions here, weeping and washing and kissing Jesus' feet and anointing his feet with oil, are remarkable. They are signs of deep affection and admiration for Jesus. John Piper calls them extraordinary acts of love. Before we go on, it's important to note what Jesus is really saying in verse 47, when he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. We can take this to mean that these actions, these acts of love, are the cause of her forgiveness. Because she showed Jesus that she loved him, she was forgiven. Actually, these acts of love are evidence of her forgiveness. The word for here means more like therefore. She was forgiven, therefore she loved much, rather than because she loved much. She wasn't saved because of the outward things that she did for Jesus. They were a demonstration of what had changed inside for her. She had been introduced to Jesus, to the person of Jesus, to his mercy and his holiness, and to her desperate need for his forgiveness. And she was forgiven because Jesus forgave her. It's key for us to remember in our own lives that the forgiveness of Jesus leads us to worship. Our worship doesn't cause our forgiveness. And although this evening we're thinking about the idea that Jesus loves worship, the word worship, you might have noticed, isn't actually in this passage. Instead, Jesus describes this woman's actions as loving much. And this is what it really means to worship God, to love him. That's why Jesus says that the greatest commandments from God are these. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Worship means valuing God above everything else. It means putting him in his rightful place in our hearts and our souls and our minds. Where Simon failed to honor Jesus, the woman in our passage greatly honored God through her actions. By pouring oil on Jesus' feet, she was anointing him, giving him the glory due to him as the promised savior. And true worship, is anything that expresses this love for God. It might be joining together in a church building to sing songs about God's love and his salvation as we've done this evening. It might be showing kindness to your friends and neighbors, even to your enemies. It might be serving the poor in your community. 
It might even be as simple as faithfully reading your Bible every morning and praying to God. It might also be what we're going to do later on tonight, which is giving our money to causes close to God's heart. The thing that ultimately joins all of these actions together as worship is what's going on in our hearts, whether or not they're acts of love for God. Because Jesus warns us about the danger of surface-level worship. In Matthew 15, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Going through the motions with Jesus simply doesn't cut it. He knows what's going on within us. The ultimate question for us is, do we treasure God in our hearts? While Simon looked like he had it all together with his worship routine on the surface, really his heart was far from God. This woman looked like a mess on the surface, but her heart was right towards God. She treasured Jesus in her heart. So who was this Jesus that this woman treasured? We look around the world today and we see Jesus presented as irrelevant, as a good man, as a teacher or a prophet, as not even real. And we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that this is a peculiar 21st century problem because Simon's reaction here shows us that people have been confused about Jesus or projecting their own agendas onto him since the first century. That the word of God reveals to us the fullness of who Jesus is. Fully God, fully man and saviour of the world. Jesus is good at getting under the skin of people's reactions to him. And we see it time and time again in his interactions with people in the Bible. Here, Jesus uses a story, a parable, to hold up a mirror to Simon to help him see what he cannot see on his own. And we're just going to revisit that now. So, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. But Simon doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just address Simon. He also addresses the woman. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman whose society had shunned because of her behavior is commended to us as an example of worship by Jesus. And this parable reveals to us what Jesus really values. He values faith that he has the power to forgive. And he values love that stems from this faith. John Bloom says this to help us unpack this parable. He who is forgiven loves little. This little sentence reveals a mammoth truth for us. We will love God to the degree that we recognize the magnitude of our own sins and the immensity of God's grace to forgive them. It's not really that the man in this story who is in less debt was forgiven less. The moneylender forgave both men completely. He wiped the slate clean for both. They should have both been dancing for joy and gratitude. 
But this parable speaks to our perceptions of our debt. Maybe the man who had less debt took his debt less seriously, but he was still in a state of debt. We have a holy and perfect God, and any sin against him makes us unfit to be in his presence. Jesus knows this, and that is why his forgiveness for us is so life-changing. It makes a way for us to come close to God. Jesus declares us innocent of our sins, and we can worship this holy God in response. And this is the answer to the spectators' murmured questions in verse 39. Who is this who even forgives sins? This is Jesus, the Son of God who came to earth to die on a cross in order to make amends for all the wrong that we have done against God. This is Jesus who can forgive this woman's sin and forgive our sin because he is the one who paid the price for sin. When our eyes are opened to the depth of Jesus' loving sacrifice for us on the cross, our hearts are opened to overflow with love for him. As John Bloom explains, this is the love that Jesus is looking for. This is the kind of worshippers that the Father is seeking. For at its essence, true worship is a passionate love for God, not moralistic rule-keeping or feats of self-discipline. When we think we have it all together, we get complacent about God. I don't know whether you find that to be true. I certainly know it to be true in life. When things are going well for me, I slip into complacency relatively easily. When we are self-confident in our own righteousness, we can get blasé. We forget our need for God. Realizing our desperation, having our eyes opened again, to how much we need God, leads us to put our trust in him, becoming confident in him instead. And this is what it means to have faith. This is why the woman is such an example to us of what worship is. Ultimately, we worship what we love. Simon was so busy worshipping his own reputation that he missed what was right in front of him. The promised saviour of the world sat at his dinner table. He showed Jesus little love. He failed to wash his feet or greet him or put oil on his head as a sign of respect. But the woman had her eyes opened. She saw the man who was truly deserving of her love and affection. She honoured Jesus in a beautiful way. And this is what we as Christians are called to do every day, to honour Jesus with our whole lives. If you're struggling to love God here today, I would encourage you to look at God. Look again at what Jesus has done. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the depth of your sin, but even more so to the depth of God's love for you, as we've been hearing about and celebrating this evening. It might be that you identify more with Simon here this evening that you're afraid that your reputation, the one that you've so carefully constructed, might crumble when you come close to Jesus. It might be that you feel more like this woman, ashamed or outcast because of things you've done or the way that other people have treated you. But God calls us all to come close through the way that Jesus has made in love. This is the choice that we have before us tonight. 
self-confidence or confidence in Christ that opens our eyes and leads us to worship. And this is the heart of true worship. It strips away our pride because it confronts us with the reality of who we are. But more importantly, it shows us the reality of who God is. We don't pour ourselves out to try and win God's love for us. We pour ourselves out because God has already won us through love, just as we sung earlier. And this is love that brings freedom from fear. This is love that frees us from ourselves, our constant and impossible striving to be good enough on our own merit. And I'd like to invite you this evening, if you haven't already, to step into this new life of love, just as Ash has here tonight. Step into a life where you know that God loves you enough to send his son to die for you on a cross. Into a life where you love God and those around you as an overflow of the forgiveness that he has poured into you. In a moment, we're going to be standing to worship. We're going to be standing to declare our love for God in response to the love that he has shown for us.